Chapter Five of Interrupted by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: Trying to Endure. Of course, there were other contrasts than those suggested by the two churches which persisted in presenting themselves to this lonely girl. How could she help remembering that in the old home she had been Sidney Benedict's daughter? a fact which of itself gave her place and power in all the doings of the sanctuary. Alas for the changes that a few brief months can make! Sidney Benedict lying in his grave, and his daughter an obscure music teacher in an obscure boarding and day school, an object to be stared at and pointed out by the villagers as the new teacher. But for another contrast, which from some divine source stole over her just then, the hot tears which burned her eyes would surely have fallen. Sidney Benedict was not sleeping in the grave. That was only the house of clay in which he had lived. She knew, and suddenly remembered it with a thrill, that his freed soul was in heaven. What did that mean? she wondered. In vain her imagination tried to paint the contrast. There had been times since his going, when she had longed with all the passion of her intense nature, to know by actual experience just what heaven is. But these were cowardly moments. Generally, she had been able to feel thankful that she was here to help Mama and Dora. She remembered this now, along with the memory of her father's joy, and it helped her to choke back the tears and struggle bravely with her homesickness. Meantime, it was hard for her to forget that she was the observed of all observers but she did not half understand why this was so. She could not know what a rare bit of beauty she looked in the dingy church, almost like a ray of brightness astray from another world. From her standpoint, her dress was simplicity itself, and she had not lived long enough in this outer circle of society to understand that there are different degrees of simplicity, as well as different opinions concerning the meaning of the word. Her black silk dress was very plainly made, and her seal sack had been so long worn that Claire, the millionaire's daughter, had remarked only last winter that it had served its time and must be supplanted by a new one. The present Claire, of course, did not think of such a thing, but meekly accepted it as part of her cross. Her plain black velvet hat had no other trimming than the long plume which swept all around it and had been worn the winter before. How could she be expected to have any conception of the effect of her toilet on the country people by whom she was surrounded? Her world had been so far removed from theirs, that had one told her that to them she seemed dressed like a princess, she would have been bewildered and incredulous. Her dress was very far from suiting herself. Her mood had been to envelop herself in heaviest black, and shroud her face from curious gaze behind folds of crape. The only reason she had not done so had been because the strict sense of honor which governed the fallen family would not allow them to add thus heavily to their expenses. Indeed, to have dressed in such mourning as would have alone appeared suitable to them would have been impossible. The mother had not seemed to feel this much. It doesn't matter, children, she had said gently, they know we miss Papa. We have no need of crape to help us tell that story, 
and for ourselves it would not make our sorrow any less heavy. But the girls had shrunk painfully from curious eyes and conjectured curious remarks, and had shed tears in secret over even this phase of the trouble. The bell whose sharp clang was a continued trial to her cultured ears ceased its twanging at last, and then it was the wheezy little cabinet organ's turn, and, indeed, those who do not know the capabilities for torture that some of those instruments have are fortunate. Claire Benedict set her teeth firmly. This was an hundred degrees more painful than the bell, for the name of this was music. How could any person be so depraved in taste as to believe it other than a misnomer? While the choir of seven voices roared through the hymn, Claire shut her eyes, grasped her hymn-book tightly with both hands, set her lips, and endured. What a tremendous bass it was! How fearfully the leading soprano sang through her nose, in common parlance, though almost everybody understands that we mean precisely opposite. How horribly the tenor flatted, and how entirely did the alto lose the key more than once during the infliction of those six verses! The hymn was an old one, a favorite with Claire, as it had been with her father. But as that choir shrieked out the familiar words, I love her gates, I love the road, the church adorned with grace, stands like a palace built for God to show his milder face, it seemed hardly possible for one reared as she had been to turn from her surroundings and lose herself in the deep spiritual meaning intended. Nay, when the line, stands like a palace built for God, was triumphantly hurled at her through those discordant voices, she could hardly keep her sad lips from curling into a sarcastic smile as she thought of the cracked and smoky walls, the dreadful curtains, the dust and disorder. A palace built for God, her heart said in disdain, almost in disgust. It isn't a decent stopping place for a respectable man. Then her momentary inclination to smile yielded to genuine indignation. What possible excuse could be offered for such a state of things? Why did respectable people permit such a disgrace? She had seen at least the outside of several of the homes in South Plains, and nothing like the disorder and desolation which reigned here was permitted about those homes. How could Christian people think they were honoring God by meeting for his worship in a place that would have made the worst housekeeper among them blush for shame had it been her own home. Indignation helped her through the hymn, and with bowed head and throbbing heart she tried during the prayer to come into accord with the spirit of worship. But the whole service was one to be remembered as connected with a weary and nearly fruitless struggle with wayward thoughts. What was the burden of the sermon? she tried in vain afterwards to recall it. A series of well-meant and poorly expressed platitudes. Nothing wrong about it, thought poor Claire, except the sin of calling it the gospel and reading it off to these sleepy people as though he really thought it might do them some good. Indeed, the minister was almost sleepy himself, or else utterly discouraged. Claire tried to rouse herself to a little interest in him, to wonder whether he were a downhearted, disappointed man. His coat was seedy, his collar limp, and his cuffs frayed at the edges. 
Yes, these were actually some of the things she thought while he said his sermon over to them. She brought her thoughts with sharp reprimand back to the work of the hour, but they roved again almost as quickly as recalled. At last she gave over the struggle, and set herself to the dangerous work of wondering what Dr. Ellis was saying this morning in the dear old pulpit, whether Mama and Dora missed him as much as she did, whether he looked over occasionally to their vacant seat and missed all the absent ones, Papa most of all. But the seat was not vacant, probably. Already somebody sat at the head of the pew in Papa's place, and somebody's daughters or sisters or friends had her place and Mama's and Dora's. The niches were filled, doubtless, and the work of the church was going on just the same, and it was only they who were left out in the cold, their hearts bleeding over the gap that would never be filled. Dangerous thoughts, these. One little strain in another key came in again to help her. Papa was not left out. He had gone up higher. What was the old church to him now that he had entered into the church triumphant? He might love it still, but there must be a little pity mingled with the love, and a wistful looking forward to the time when they would all reach to his height, and at that time Mama and Dora and she would not be left out. If this mood had but lasted, it would have been well, but her undisciplined heart was too much for her, and constantly she wandered back to the thoughts which made the sense of desolation roll over her. She was glad when at last the dreary service was concluded, and she could rush away from the dreary church to the privacy of her small, plain room in the academy, and throw herself on the bed, and indulge to the utmost the passionate burst of sorrow. The tears spent their first force soon, but they left their victim almost sullen. She allowed herself to go over, in imagination, the Sundays which were to come, and pictured all their unutterable dreariness. Did I tell you about the rusty stoves, whose rusty and cobwebby pipes seemed to wander at their own erratic will about that church? It was curious how poor Claire's excited brain fastened upon those stovepipes as the drop too much in her accumulation of horrors. It seemed to her that she could not endure to sit under them, no, not for another Sabbath. And here was a long winter and spring stretching out before her. She was not even to go home for the spring vacation. Her poor, ruined purse would not admit of any such extravagance. It would be almost midsummer before she could hope to see Mama and Dora again. And in the meantime, how many Sundays there were! She vexed herself trying to make out the exact number and their exact dates. This mood, miserable as it was, possessed her all the afternoon. It seemed not possible to get away from it. She crept forlornly from her bed presently because of the necessity of seeing to her expiring fire. She was shivering with the cold, but as she struggled with the damp wood, trying to blow the perverse smoke into a flame, she went on with her indignant, not to say defiant, thoughts. She went back again to that dreadful church and the fires in those neglected stoves. She determined resolutely that her hours spent in that building should be as few as possible. Of course, she must attend the morning service, but nothing could induce her to spend her evenings there. 
I might much better sit in my room and read my Bible, and write good Sunday letters to Mamma and Dora, she told herself grimly, as the spiteful smoke suddenly changed its course and puffed in her face. At least I shall not go to church. I don't belong to that church, I am thankful to remember, and never shall. I have no special duties toward it. I shall just keep away from it and from contact with the people here as much as possible. It is enough for me if I do my duty towards those giggling girls who think they are to become musicians under my tuition. I will do my best for them, and I shall certainly earn all the salary I am offered here. Then my work in this place will be accomplished. I have nothing to do with the horrors of that church. If the people choose to insult God by worshipping him in such an abomination of desolations as that, it is nothing to me. I must just endure so much of it as I am obliged to, until I can get away from here. I am not to spend my life in South Plains, I should hope. She shuddered over the possibility of this. She did not understand her present state of mind. She seemed to herself not Claire Benedict at all, but a miserable caricature of her. What had become of the strong, bright, willing spirit with which she had been wont to take hold of life? Energetic she had always been called, self-reliant she had heard that word applied to herself almost from childhood. A girl who had a great deal of executive talent. Yes, she used to have, but she seemed now to have no talent of any sort. She felt crushed, as though the motive power had been removed from her. She had borne up bravely while with her mother and younger sister. She had felt the necessity for doing so. Her mother's last earthly prop must not fail her, and therefore Claire had done her best. But now there was no more need for endurance. Her tears could not pain Mama or Dora. She had a right to give her grief full sway. She felt responsible to nobody. Her work in the world was done. Not by any intention of hers, she told herself drearily. She had been willing and glad to work. She had rejoiced in it, and had planned for a vigorous and aggressive future, having to do with the best interests of the church. Only think how full of work her hours had been, that day when the clouds shut down on her and set her aside. There was nothing more for her to do. Her plans were shattered, her opportunities swept away, everything had been cruelly interrupted. She could not help it, and she knew no reason for it. Certainly she had tried to do her best, but at least, with her opportunities closed, her responsibility was gone. Nothing more could be expected of her, henceforth she must just endure. This is just the way life looked to the poor girl on this sad Sabbath. She was still trying to rely on herself, and because herself was found to be such a miserable source of reliance, she gloomily blamed her hard fate and said that at least her responsibility was over. She did not say in words, God has taken away all my chances, and he must just be willing to bear the consequences of my enforced idleness. She would have been shocked had she supposed that such thoughts were being nursed in her heart. But when you look the matter over, what else was she saying? A great many of our half-formed thoughts on which we brood will not bear the clear gaze of a quiet hour when we mean honest work. 
End of chapter 5. Recording by Tricia G.